Hello everybody and welcome to this second edition of the Basu and Gade Notebook brought to you by SDPM. Hello Arpin. Makatwan, how's it going? I'm great, man. Episode two. Yeah. Yeah, we officially, uh, we have a library now. <laughs> a, a library of podcast episodes with this new podcast. But, you know, the Canadian season is underway. Um, just got back, uh, well, not just yesterday, but I mean, just got back from Toronto. Yeah. Um, what so did we you what, what well, did I you thought, think? Thought, Let's start with that. I mean, yeah, well, I think we should. I think, well, what I thought is that we learned a lot about this team and that mm. I think there's actually a lot of stuff. You don't want to make too much of the first game, but there are certain decisions that were taken, certain ways that the team played and certain things that Marty, Marty St. Louis did that I think were a little telling for what he plans on doing or how he plans on running things this right. season. So, yeah, I think, I think without making too much of one game, uh, we should look into some of those things and and s- see what was what was telling and what was just a one off for that game. Um, my first thing was that uh, uh, Nick Suzuki killed a lot of penalties. He did, and that's one of the only definitive answers we got out of Martin during training camp was that he was hoping to have Nick Suzuki kiss, kill less penalties, kill less. And the other thing was he did seem to kind of give the impression, or maybe I interpreted it that way and I was wrong, that he was going to try and lessen Suzuki's load in terms of matchups and have have Kirby Doc take on some of those tough matchups. That yeah. also turned out to be not true. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't think – but. I don't know if, if both of those things um, are not the plan. They just didn't happen to manifest themselves on night one, which was, I think, a uniquely difficult situation in terms of the firepower the Leafs have at the top of the lineup and the firepower they have on the power play. Yeah. Uh, that maybe he's going to slowly work that in. But, you know, that's why I asked Marty after the game, you know, were, were you did, were there any occasions where you were trying to get Nick away from that line? Because there were a couple of occasions where Nick wound up on the ice with the fourth against the fourth line, and I thought, oh, that's pretty crafty. But you look at the end of the game, and by far his most frequent opponent was Austin Matthews, and his answer was no. Hey, yeah. Marty, Mar- Marty wasn't all that impressed with me in Toronto, I got to say. <laughs> he, didn't, he, didn't like, <laughs> he didn't like your line of questioning too much. He didn't much, like uh, my line no. of questioning before or after the game. Right, but I think that with Suzuki, it was just a, before they start changing everything all at once. It's about easing everybody into the season, going to their known quantities. And mm-hmm. Suzuki is definitely a known quantity. He finished, I mean, playing close to twenty-two minutes. I thought he, he had an amazing start. Uh, you know, him and, and Cole together uh, before Suzuki got his penalty, and just that, like the rest of the team got into a bit of a. Uh, he, he had a dip in his game like everybody else in the second period, but I thought he had a tremendous start at the face-off sc- circle, was dominant, uh, faced tough competition. And, I mean, it's going to be – I think it's going to be a process when it comes to managing his ice time. Same goes mm-hmm. for Mike Matheson. Mike Matheson, I mean, he played a ton. He played close to 27 minutes. Yeah. Uh, if both, I'm not both mistaken – special teams. yeah. And, I mean, it's not as if the Canadians didn't have other options on the PK. I mean, Jordan Harris didn't play a single second on the PK. Uh, I mean, Jack I did not play on the PK either. Kovacevic, barely. I mean, so they they had their guys. They went to their trusted guys a whole Mm -hmm. lot, Um, especially after, you know, after the first period when everything seems uh, very – balanced uh, well and uh, on the back end because of jack guy's 17 minutes uh i mean being out of the game that for for so long uh it, it skewed the things a little bit then when it comes to ice time but up front i mean it was very well balanced but obviously when the game was on the line it was a different story so yeah in terms of player usage i wouldn't i wouldn't see too much into this personally no i mean not yeah but i do think it's interesting that um I think also the fact that the Kirby Doc line was doing so well against the Tavares oh, line, yeah. why would you change that? And so, 
Um, so, you know, and we're going to talk about the dock line, obviously, because that was the biggest revelation, I guess, of the game and, and could have the most far reaching implications. Uh, but I think, I think you're right to bring up Matheson. I had a lot of, I had a few, few of the Toronto media who I think for the first time realized what Mike Matheson could do. Like they were like, who is, who is this guy? You know, this is not, <laughs> this is not the Mike Matheson I remember. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an encouraging sign for the Canadians. I think most Canadians fans know that he has that in him because of how he finished the season last year, but uh, he really has an opportunity to open some eyes. You know, I mean, it's, it's, I, it's, you know, I had someone come up to me and be like, he looks like a number one defenseman. You know, he did tonight at least. Yeah. And he did play a relatively mistake free game. Um, despite all those minutes, despite some of the situations he was put in, but he has, I think an opportunity, if this is going to be how it is, um, to really take a step in terms of his league-wide reputation and, and really become that horse for the Canadians. He's not hes not a number one defenseman. He's not a number one defenseman on a, on a really strong team, but he can play the role of number one defenseman quite effectively. He can, he can chew up those minutes. And it was actually interesting after the game – you know, he's usually a guy who has a good big picture perspective on things. You know, yeah. he's he's pretty uh, cerebral in that way and can kind of see the positives out of a negative. And them blowing that game really bothered him. <laughs> he did not like that. Just the way they went about it, uh, them putting the Leafs on the power play so frequently, you know, with these offensive zone penalties, failing to clear the zone, like all these little things that are, that are very correctable to have those things cost them the game did not sit well with him. And I think it's, you know, I think it's because of the quality of his own play as, as part of it. And, and, and to see how many things went right for the Canadians at various points in that game. Uh, but, you know, I, I think, that's another sign of, of how the players um, are going to be are looking at this in a competitive way, which is normal. But, but I wonder, you know, when it comes to uh, to Matheson, I mean, yeah. So I refer to the fact that Jack Guy was out for 17 minutes, and he said it's funny because when we spoke to him on Thursday, Jack Guy said, "Oh, I had a few 17 minutes in juniors." He's He's, he's quick to add up 10 plus 5 plus 2. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah, I was when actually it comes wondering. To yeah. So I had, I had one thought actually to, you know, I was wondering if anyone ever been called for instigating a fight with Ryan Reeves. Oof. Okay. Like, yeah. Like, has anyone ever been so hell bent on fighting Ryan Reeves? that the referee decided to give them the instigator and not Ryan Reeves. That might be a first. I don't know how to look that up. I wish I knew. I yeah. don't think you can, but I would venture to guess that over the last, let's say five years, that's never happened. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. It's probably, it probably happened early in Reeves career when he was, you know, um, he was, he didn't have the reputation that he's got today where basically nobody, hardly touches him or provokes him. You know, you, mm -hmm. you, nobody pokes the bear except Arbor Jack guy. <laughs> so, Apparently. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And I think that's great for the Canadians to, to have a guy who, who sends that sort of message uh, to the rest of the league saying, you know what, even if it's Ryan Reeves, I won't think twice and I'm going to, I'm going to jump on the guy. Uh, we know by now that Jack guy is not, is not an enforcer, but he's sure won't get intimidated and he's more than willing to drop the gloves. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think that it's, it's, it's a tremendous asset for the Canadians because you look around the league and guys who fight, but can really play are fewer and fewer. So it's really, he's, he's borderline one of a kind right now. Yeah. And the other thing about that, like it wasn't much of a fight. I think everyone can, you know, a few punches were thrown, but For someone to push Ryan Reeves from the end boards to the net and then topple the net over, like that takes an incredible amount of strength. I was actually mm -hmm. doing my, my live room, my athletic live room, uh, between four and 4.45 at Scotiabank Arena. And the quietest part I could find was kind of the hallway 
that leads up to the Leafs dressing room. So that's right around the time the players arrive. And it's the thing in Toronto that, you know, most fans probably don't know, but it's a very kind of open, it's an open atmosphere. You know, the players are coming and going and you kind of like, it's, it's, you don't really, you're not hidden from them. So I didn't really realize that I would just be standing there while, you know, all of a sudden Austin Matthews is walking into the game. And so that, but Ryan Reeve showed up wearing like a pink suit, looking great, frankly, but it was, (laughs) it was a hot pink suit. It was really nice. Um, he's a massive human being. Like I, it's been a while since I've been kind of in a room with him just because he's been in the Western conference. I haven't really seen him in a while. And it's just, it's just daunting. And, And so for, for Arbor Jack, I to take that guy and just decide to like bulldoze him into the net, which doesn't mean he won the fight or anything. It's just, it's just a, it's, it's a feat of strength. It's like, yeah, a, yeah. it's like, it's like the Festivus thing where, you know, you got you your feats of strength. Well, Arbor Jack guy had one <laughs> where he had a feat of strength pushing Ryan Reeves over that net. It was impressive. Yeah. So hey, but but let's it's good go. for, and it's, it's good for Arbor Jack guy's own, you know, I think you talked about that yesterday where he's talking, yeah. you know, he needed that kind of that boost of confidence and now he has it. And now he knows that everything's fine. The shoulder's fine. That he can, well, that's he it. When he pushed, doing it. when he pushed Reeves uh, onto the net and, and using all of his strengths, that's when he basically said, it enabled me to test my shoulder and I, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm fine. You know, so that's, yeah. that's a good thing. But we started by talking or earlier we mentioned the Kirby Doc line is being probably the biggest positive of that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most significant elements. All three guys on that line look good. Um, but yeah. I, I think we have a, I think by now, people who've listened to us in the past, all of the last season, and and I know that you're thinking like that. We have a sort of a positive prejudice towards Kirby Doc, and we we see the yes. potential and we envision good, great things from him. But I think that even more than Doc, his two wingers really stood out uh, on Wednesday night. Alex Newhook could not have dreamt of a better way to start his Canadian's career, mm-hmm. at least from an individual perspective. And Uri Slavkovsky, after building on on a very, very good or an increasingly, increasingly good training camp, came out and had the sort of a game that, man, if he can play like that the whole year, if that's his... That's how he starts the season. That's super exciting for what's to come. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, we we, we Marty talks so much about his touches. Well, he, he had a lot it. of touches. He did. He had a lot of touches, and yeah. color me shocked that uh, Max Dovey who turned the puck over in his own end, <laughs> leading to a goal. <laughs> Your Slavkovsky deserves credit for creating that turnover, but. Um, that was pretty vintage Max Domi in that situation. <laughs> but anyhow, it's, it's, you're right. I mean, he, and I, but I think it's, it's, it's good because it wasn't, it was a really good game, excellent game even, but it's not as if he made all sorts of incredible plays. Like he just played the game well. Yeah. He didn't, you know, the, the pass to new hook on the first goal was obviously a great play. Uh, but, you know, I would argue that, you know, that's equal parts Doc, equal parts Slavkowski. I mean, Slavkowski had the poise to make that pass. But yeah, I but think, he, he made the hit back in his own end. Yes, he did. And skated Absolutely. full tilt. But that's what I'm talking about. To it's, catch it's, up it's, with his with his teammates and was right there at the right time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and didn't panic and, and created his own passing lane to send it over to New. All of it good. Yeah. But watching, like I was talk, I was telling someone, I think in the second intermission, I'm like, this might be the game, best game your Koski's ever played, they're like, oh, that's a pretty low bar. And I was like, yeah, maybe. It might be a pretty low bar, but it's it's something that he had a lot of trouble doing, like just having a game where he wasn't trying to do anything spectacular. And he, he didn't even really try to do anything spectacular. He was just playing the game. And moving his feet. Moving his feet and being in the right spots and just being a part of the game and not looking like he's – following the game or chasing right. the game or, or just being behind in the game. So that's what's encouraging to me is that at some point, if he keeps doing that, he will get those games where he does spectacular things, where he does impose his will on the game. He didn't really impose his will on this game. He just played it well. Yeah. And that's a great first step, you know? And so that's – and it's funny that – you know, at some point he was getting asked over and over again about how well he played. And, and I think if after a while he was kind of like, 
okay, guys, you know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> like I think at one point he said, I think I still know how to play hockey. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, no one said you didn't know how to play hockey. It's, is that, did you feel like you didn't know how to play hockey? <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's, he's, he's taking like a big mental leap here, but he keeps making references to last season being a lot worse than any of us think it was. Mm-hmm. And I think in his own mind, it was a lot worse than any of us think it was, but so well, I it goes back. Ma- it it goes back to the fact that he he asks a lot of himself too, you know. So exactly. So the pressure. To, to, we spoke start, about it the previous episode. The pressure he puts on himself, etc. Yeah. So to start the season this way, and you know, and the more that he can put that, put that pressure behind him, um, it'll be interesting to see how he performs without that because yeah. we've never seen it. He might not have. Maybe he's never seen it. I don't know, but I think there were times in his life when he's played without pressure and probably performed pretty well. So let's see. Let's see if it lasts another game. Yeah, and I mean, I suspect that Alex Newhook sooner rather than later will end up being at center. But this is the one line that if you if Martin Saint Louis was, you know, tempted to bring the blender out after one game and try all continue the, his experiments from training camp. Uh, judging from that game in Toronto, that's the one line that I wouldn't touch. So yeah, yeah. You so, think he'll end up? You think he'll wind up at center? Really? Well, later, yeah. I I think it's it's possible. Um, like as a permanent position, or just he'll wind up there out of circumstance. Uh, I think. I, I expect to see him at center unless it clicks so well on that line that you just can't move him. I think that there would there should be a time um, between now and Dvorak coming back where he might see some action at center. Mm-hmm. And depending after that, what happens at the center line position. I mean, he signed for four years. I don't expect Christian Dvorak to be in Montreal for four years. But you know oh. they they might they might want to try Sean Monahan on the wing, and in that case, until Dvorak is, I back. barely expect Christian Dvorak to be here for four months. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I'll, I I sat down with Kent Hughes earlier this week, and uh, mm-hmm. he he mentioned Dvorak, saying that when Dvorak will be back, we'll have we're sure to have three very good lines. So be, not not necessarily because of Dvorak himself, but. Probably he probably hints at what chairs. he's able yeah. to how the chairs are rearranged as a result. Yes, and how he can move Monahan probably higher up in the lineup, so yeah. it creates a domino effect, uh, creating so yeah, a, probably a, a better third line than what we've seen so far. So, um, but any case, that that line, all three guys, they they were they were really good. It's, it's exciting to see, and it gives really the Canadians for the time being a, a true second line, and it doesn't doesn't give the the burden of proof strictly on on Caulfield and Suzuki to provide some offense because they'll be able to do some they'll be able to create some damage and you know Doc and Slavkovsky uh maybe the Doc you know on the road might be it might be more of an issue for him uh on draws but in terms of size in terms of style of play I think that those guys could really uh be great contributors on the road too Well, yeah. I mean, they just did it on the road. So, I mean, it's like, it's, you know, and Doc wasn't so bad. He was, you know, three for seven in the face-off circle. But it's, I really think, I mean, I'm super high on Kirby Doc this season. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm really, really high on him. Because I think, I think we forgot a bit because of how he finished the season injured. But there was a period last year, I did forget about it until I saw him kind of go after... Who is it that hit Slaff from behind in Ottawa? I forget who it was, but but Doc came right in and, and Ridley Gregg. Yeah, right. And so it reminded me of the period of time last season where Kirby Doc all of a sudden decided to get mean and started hitting people. <laughs> and I remember I talked to Arbor Jackai about it at the time. I was like, "Have you noticed that Kirby Doc is getting like mean?" He's like, "Yeah, I have noticed. I mean, how could you not notice?" I was like, "Has I mean?" Is it me or is 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 what happened? Like what happened? Like where did this come from? Because we hadn't seen he was not a physical player at all. No. Over the first 20, 25 games of the season. And then all of a sudden he did start doing that. 
and like a whole other, and it unlocked like all these other things in his game. Like it just became, he became such a different player and not like he was running around in Toronto and, and hitting everything that moved, but you see him physically using his body in effective ways, knowing that he's probably stronger than the guy he's going up against. Yeah. And he's definitely bigger than the guy he's going up against. And at that version of Kirby Doc, if we have that, if the Canadians have that from the start of the season, as opposed to 25 games in, then that's a whole different Kirby Doc. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's like, you combine all the good things we, we saw from him at the beginning of last season you know, the transition ability, kind of the ranginess, the the, the takeaways. I mean, uh, you know, and we didn't even see that really in Toronto, but his ability to, to, to swipe pucks from people uh, from great distances using his reach. Uh, and then you add all that to kind of a gnarly, you know, grumpy center who's, who's, who's big and strong. Um, you have the makings of a pretty good center. And yeah. – I don't know about you, but I, it's it's only one game, and I'm not only judging it on one game, but I'm just judging it on 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 everything that's involved. Like it's a tight race for me. Like who has the higher ceiling between him and Nick Suzuki? Well, yeah, starting but to, starting the, to the, lean the, him. It's 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 a question of potential. It's got nothing to do with that first game. It's who he is as a player and what he's capable well, of doing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Because Suzuki's 24, he might be might be closer to the player that he's going to be, um, and I don't think that Suzuki will necessarily be evaluated based on the number of points that he puts up in the season. Uh, and for that reason, I mean, I, I think that Doc sky's the limit with him. He might never reach Suzuki's point totals, but. He's certainly capable of doing so, and well, he's I capable he of going of of going further than that. So, because ultimately, I think just because of the physical ability that he's got to dominate the game, owning his body and owning the ice, because of that, uh, this has always been very precious in hockey. And now mm-hmm. that he understands it and integrates it to his game. As you said so well, it, it unlocks other parts of his game. And now that he's figuring this out, I think it's one of the reasons why we hear so often, oh, you know, with the bigger guys, it takes more time. Yeah. Because that's that part of saying, okay, oh, this now it, uh, now I'm fully grown. Now I'm, uh, I'm into my body. And look at that. It, it's like, you know, it, it's like when, when Spider-Man discovered his superpower and, and started having fun with them. Yeah. Uh, well, a, a, a bigger guy, a bigger guy who's talented in the hockey, that's what happens too. And I, I think that's what we're starting to see with Kirby Doc. Yeah. So imagine Yuri Slavkovsky at 22. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's that, that you know. could be quite something. Yeah. So you know, it's exciting. And, and you but were one mentioning thing I wanted, it. one thing I want to ask you about to see if, if, if you agree with me or not, because I'm watching that game and, the Nick Suzuki line and the Austin Matthews line at five on five was zeros in terms of goals. Mm-hmm. It was zero, zero. They tied. But, you know, there was definitely ebbs and flows to that game. There were definitely, you know, sections, you know, that, that 60 nothing shot difference after the disallowed goal. Um, and so I'm, I'm watching Nick Suzuki at times, you know, and there's, there, it's, it's a, it's a load. It's a handful to play against that line. And I'm thinking, how's he supposed to produce offense in this situation? Like, especially during that stretch, you know, where you're just hanging on for dear life. You're just trying to make sure that this guy does not turn the game in their favor. You just want him to not, to not score. They're not the so, same. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I want to interrupt. But, you I mean, just, it, no, but in terms of if that's what he's going to be asked to do. Yeah. Like, is it fair for us to be wondering because I'm wondering, I think the whole city, the, the whole fan base is wondering, um, you know, what his offensive ceiling is. He's been asked, can you be a point of game player? I think he knows that he's reached a point in his career where he kind of has to put his foot on in the, you know, draw his line in the sand or whatever cliche you want to use it and just be mm-hmm. like, this is the player I am. But 
in this division, if you're facing the top guys every night, the top guys are top. Yeah. Bar Barkov in Florida is, you know, point and or or Stamkos in, in Tampa, you know, the Pasternak line in, in Boston, you know, it, it's it's difficult. And is it is Nick Suzuki gonna be able to reach his offensive ceiling if he has to do this? Do you think I think it might be a hindrance to him and I I'm wondering if I'm overreacting. So what do you think? It's not it's not a hindrance, but I think they're quite aware of that. And that they're hoping that a stronger third line, a stronger fourth line, overall a better supporting cast will free him up from some of those responsibilities. Mm-hmm. When you say when you say how is he supposed to provide offense in situations like that, well, don't you think that Thomas Plekanis asked himself that question for years? And then Philip Dano after that, it's been the same same old thing with the first line center of the Montreal Canadiens for the longest time. It's because once you're asked to, to, you know, to cover and 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 face the NHL, the top stars. That's asked of every. That's 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 asked of every first line center, not just of the Montreal Canadiens. I know, team. but overall, they they haven't had an Austin Matthews. They haven't had a Connor McDavid. Their their first line centers have been, you know. So my like, question is: Nick Suzuki going to be Thomas Plakanis? No, no, no. He's he wears the same better. number for crying out loud. <laughs> no, he's 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 better. But there's going to be there's a risk that there might be a conundrum come playoff time, one day, one day it's going to happen. That if the team is not better and it keeps relying on him like that, come playoff time, don't look for his offense. I think that's what's going to happen. But by then. If they are a playoff team, it's because they will have a lot more uh, diversity to their offense and they'll have a better supporting cast and then you'll be able to have more favorable matchups. And and in all that, probably that Cole Caulfield will be able to produce more too because as long as he's attached... You know, I, I could see Suzuki, even though he's got those, those mandates, uh, he's got those, those assignments and... He might not go to the end of his potential. He might turn a career that offensively could look like Jonathan, Jonathan Taves. Mm-hmm. But the guy next to him, Cole Caulfield, if he's got that sort of assignments, it's not the ideal deployment for him. Because, no. no. So, I mean, when they were something trying to we'll hold have on to, to When they were trying to hold on to that lead, I mean, Monaghan was, was on the ice with yeah. Suzuki and Anderson. And... Forget who it was, but Slav wasn't on the ice with Doc Newhook either. I think it was Pearson actually who took his spot. So yeah, it's yeah, no, no, no. During that stretch where there was when the when the lead came down to one goal, and there's nothing wrong with that, but Marty, you know, kept sort of his less defensively responsible players on the bench, which is normal. Um, but you know, I mean, I think that's those are the thoughts that were going through my head as I was watching that game because I really did think going into the game that Marty was going to try and get him away from that to allow him. And, you know, he mentioned after the game, you know, I tried to get him some offensive zone face-offs, but that didn't really fit with the flow of the game. And and ultimately, he just kind of let it ride because um, I think his his vibe on this team is going to let's, let's just roll four lines. Let's come at them in waves. That's, that's yeah. the identity. That's going to be the – I think in his mind, he's been asked – Multiple times, what's the identity of this team? I think that's going to be the identity of this team. Just that we're, we come at you in waves. Yeah. One through four, we can come at you. But if that means if that means Nick, Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, and whoever's playing with them, whether it's Josh Anderson or whoever, um, that they're just consistently going to get the most difficult matchup on the night, then, then maybe we need – maybe the offensive expectations need to reflect that. Yeah. For sure. Hey, uh, I think we've t- we've talked plenty about the game that's been. I think that we we should look ahead. Um, but one thing that I wanted to mention, and it's it's probably it's probably true, even though we use the the that game in Toronto as a, as you know as an excuse to talk about it. But uh, special teams, how big of a big of an issue do you think it's going to continue to be this season? I thought the power play was fine. I didn't think yeah. it was that bad. You know, it didn't listen. That four on three was terrible, but I thought, you know, I remember, I think on the first power play, 
they lost the faceoff, so Leafs heist the puck. I was like, oh, well, there goes that power play. <laughs> it's the end of that power play, you yeah. know, and it wasn't. They got back in the zone. They were able to establish their presence. You know, it's baby steps with this thing, and the bar's low, but it, they were – The bar's they, very they, low. They create, yeah, but they created – they worked the puck around. They created some chances. The five-on-four, I mean, the four-on-three is a whole other matter that I think is – a carryover from last season where they just took it so slowly. They had so much time. They're like, let's just work the puck around slowly. Let's all be standing still, you know, games on the line. It's overtime. We have a four on three and they just looked like they were the least, they had the least amount of urgency they could possibly have. And it, it, the result showed it. And we saw it countless times last season where if there was a long five on three or a four on three in overtime or whatever, Mm. that they approached it the same way. So that's an adjustment that clearly needs to be made. Uh, but a five on four, I didn't think they were, I didn't think they were that bad. And honestly, you know, we would forget that they didn't start the season with Mike Matheson last year. Having Mike Matheson from the start of the season makes a difference. You know, that guy's uh that guy's a crafty well, player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like it's, and he's surely, I mean, it's going to be Montreal is the first stop in his career where he gets first PP. Yeah. Uh, you know, in Florida, he didn't have it. And Pittsburgh obviously didn't either because of mm-hmm. Chris Letang. So it's a great opportunity for him. Uh, and I, I like to see him plenty on the PP. On the PK, not so much. Uh, I mean, this is another guy we need to, they, they need to manage his minutes. But, um, speaking of the, uh, speaking of the PP, uh, the, the PK, sorry. Um, it's tough to start the season. Against the Toronto Maple Leafs, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not judging, not judging them for succumbing to the Maple Leafs power play. You know, I mean, it's the problem is the Canadians taking numerous penalties over and over again and, and sending them out there. But yeah, it's I don't know what to make of. I'm not, I'm not ready to draw any conclusions on the penalty kill just yet. No, 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 and they're changing stuff. I mean, they used to have a one-one-two last year. And they're now they're using a diamond formation. Yeah. Uh, that way they want because they it makes the switches uh, easier. There's going to be less switches actually that way. Uh, they want to use the diamond formation to put more pressure on the guys on the flanks. Of mm-hmm. course, against Nylander and Matthews, it didn't work all that well. They both no. scored, but in in theory, that's that's what they're trying to do. Uh, so. And having like just that D obviously close to the uh, the goalie who's going to uh, it's going to be there just basically he's going to defend as if it was a perpetual two on one with the guy in the bumper and the guy going for the back door. But um, yeah, it's go- I think it's a good idea because if those guys, especially young defensemen, a younger team in general, they need to be on the same page. They they need to understand what they're doing. Whatever they're doing, mm-hmm. they need to be. They need to be in sync. And yeah. if you go for the structure that is a bit easier to grasp and that needs less communication, do you remember back in the Dom Ducham days where their PK was so complicated that that's one of the things that got Jeff Petrie so upset, you know, because the switches were constant and what do we do in this situation? And they were like, they were, they were completely lost at some point. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they got to go easy. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, and when you're but when you're instituting a new system on the penalty kill, it takes time as well. You know that that beca- has to become second nature, so that'll take yeah. some time. But you know, speaking of the penalty kill, he didn't play a lot on it. But Jonathan Kovacevic played more than 20 minutes in that game. Yeah. Well, Jack Guy so, was not there for a Jack while. Jack Guy was not there. I understand that, but still, I just find. I mean, you know, Jack has. Yeah, but. I thought he looked good. Like I thought he he had a sneaky good training camp. That guy, yeah. you know, he's he's uh, he's a low event guy, and and yeah. you need that sometimes on your third pairing. You need you need a guy who's but he's he's top four right now. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He's, he's top four. So, I don't know how long that's going to last, but yeah, it's it's, it's I mean it's quite a, it's quite an assignment for him, and yeah. it's it's. It's interesting to me, you know. I mean, he didn't listen. You know, he's paired with Gooley. It's, you know, there should have been some. Uh, 
there's going to be some growing pains, I guess, with that pairing. You know, there's no, there's no, there's no veteran anchor on that pairing. But it's, I find it to be an interesting. Marty speaks so highly of him, like you really get the sense that he likes this guy. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, find that I find that interesting. You know, of guy. course, of course. <laughs> as a as a person, he's yeah. easy to like, but as a player, yeah. Um, you know, he is. Uh, you know, he's kind of a meat and potatoes defenseman. Like he's, you know, he's huge and he can move and he's smart, but um, top four guy. It just makes me think of Brett Kulak when we used to always kind of yeah. joke with Brett Kulak about being top four, top four defenseman. You know, like, yes. um, Brett Kulak, top four D. <laughs> <laughs> thank goodness he did not hear us when we were on the box right. making fun was, like that yeah, yeah. well yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't making fun that was his goal that's what he said that to you know and so every time he was in the top four we would say that because he he mentioned that you know i always wanted to be a top 4d yeah. so whenever he happened to be on the second pair we'd look at each other on the press but oh brett cool like top 40 yeah. so jonathan kovacevic right now top 40 so it's um but you know it's, uh, it's when when kulak was at his best you would not question why he was a top 40, but the the worst of Brett Kulak, he would end up on the press box next to us. So mm-hmm. he had such highs and lows in his game, whereas Kovacevic, who's a different different player entirely, he's super steady. And that's something that a, a coach will always like, you know? If mm-hmm. it, even if your your highest is maybe not super high, if one game to the next, you know what to expect from the guy, the coach will like you. And the yeah. other thing is, because he's a smart guy, he seems to me like the sort of guy who takes what he's being taught and doesn't repeat the same mistakes over and over. So slowly, uh, incrementally, he's, he's getting better that way. So it's subtle because he's never going to be a flashy player. He's never going to mm-hmm. put up a ton of points. But he's gone he, since the beginning of the last year, he's progressively become more reliable. Yeah, and you know, out of that whole group of Baron Harris and him, basically, you know, I didn't think that he would be the guy to emerge as the top four guy. So let's see how long that lasts. Uh, one thing I do, I would like to talk to you. Actually, you mentioned your your chat with Ken Hughes. Yeah, um, and you know, if you haven't read what what Marc Antoine wrote, what his colleague Alexandre Gascon wrote, I think I would highly recommend going to do that. Um, but I wanted to get just kind of your overall, you know, I want to vibe check on Ken Hughes. Because um, yeah. you mentioned, oh, when Christian Dvorak's back, we're going to have three good lines. You know, this is something that a GM of a team that hopes to win games would say. You know, the, the GM of a team that thinks his team is competing for something would say. Which is, Ken Hughes has said publicly many times, you know, the, the days of losing on purpose are over. We want to win games. All that great you know but yeah i think ken hughes is a pragmatic realistic person as well and that there are still some things that need to be done on this team in order to compete in this division he's very very aware of it so what what was your vibe in terms of his balance between those two things the real the reality that they still need to add pieces to this team versus this notion that from now on this team is focused focused solely on winning games and that that we need to take steps and win some games. Well, my impression is that he's not focused at all on winning X number of games. That's not... When he spoke about Dvorak, it was, it was an answer to a question that I asked him about, precisely about Suzuki's responsibilities. And at some point, to which extent do you just stretch the elastic too much and you ask too much of a guy who's he might be your best player your best overall player but at some point you know don't you want to give him some help so that's that's how Dvorak was brought up um and I think that what 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 he pictures also is how how can we better help our young players Chris uh for 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 can't use the I think that the biggest priority, you know, how we've we've been talking a lot about progression since the, you know, since the the, the golf tournament, uh, but and for for him, it's going to be a lot about individual development. I think that he sees 
the group development as what what Martin saying we can do on a day to day basis, and organically you uh, you improve all your players, you put them together, the group is going to get better. But it's not the group that's going to get better. Hence, players individually are going to get better. For him, it's about making sure that the best players on the team take a step. So what can we do to make sure that that Suzuki gets better, Cole Caulfield, Doc, Slavkovsky, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the onus is placed on that. Uh, and it's true at every level of the organization. It's true for the guys that they chose to keep on the team. It's, chose, it's true for those that they chose to return at the, to Laval at the end of the camp, mm-hmm. whether it's, it's Norlander or, or Heinemann. But for me, that's what's, what's really Armia. struck me. Or yeah, no, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'll get better in Laval. <laughs> yeah. So you know, for example, I mean, uh, or, or or even sending back uh, Reinbacker to to Switzerland. You know, mm-hmm. they they truly believe that he's going to get better there because they trust the development system in Cloten. They said, well, he thrived over there last year. So if we, why would we, you know, if it's not broken, why fix it? You know, we, we bring mm-hmm. him to Laval. He's going to, he's going to be uh, fighting for minutes with Logan Mayu. And that that's me extending his thought here. But if yeah. they have also a plan for Logan Mayu, where he needs to play X number of minutes with Laval, well, then they're competing one against the other. And mm. they should not because they have the luxury where they can They, they also can have, develop they also have AHL veterans in Laval who also yep. need to play. And they also want to win games in Laval. Like, there's a lot, there's a lot going on That's in Laval. It. Yeah. So, so, so overall, I don't think that there's um, – the, the whole we, we want to get better and, and, and win games and we're not going to uh, – you know, we're not going to get in there with an attitude that we're going to lose. I think it's – really a byproduct of the fact that last season there was a separation between management and the locker room, where, mm-hmm. whether it was the players or the coaches. And to that, to that extent, because, I mean, Hughes secretly and sometimes not so secretly was hoping that the Canadians would win. You know, remember that press conference when he said, well, we can win, but not too much? <laughs> yeah, to a certain, to a certain yeah, point. Only to a certain point. That's oh, yeah. it. So um, well, the, the famous morning skate before the game against the Panthers. Marty pointing up in the stands. You see yeah. him? He wants you to win tonight. As yeah, opposed because- to all the other nights. <laughs> I don't think I don't think that he said that, but that's the what it was pretty clear. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So overall, I mean, I think that by saying that he was saying, you know, no more of this. And it's it's also he was telling this to us, but I think he was, he must have sent the message to the players that this, maybe this discomfort that might have been felt last season, it's mm-hmm. not going to be there anymore. It's go out there, guys, win as much as you can, because our interest in a top five pick is not going to be what it was last season. Right. So I think so it's for that. I have another question. Um, just so our listeners know, we actually didn't plan this. I was—I didn't tell Mark Antoine I'm going to grill him about his interview with with with, with Ken Hughes, but um, I don't want you to reveal how the sausage was made necessarily. But when Ken Hughes came out and acknowledged the need to add high end talent, yeah. talent de point, you know, yeah. or whatever game breaking talent, yeah, um, was that? Did he volunteer that? Did you guys coax it out of him? Like, what? How did that come up? Well, the, yeah, it's it's a line of questioning that uh, that my colleague Alexandre Gascon uh, brought forward, mm-hmm. um, because I think it's very topical and it's something that everybody's. It's of course around. it's topical. It's what every fan is 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 worried that's, about. It's, that's what like, everybody's feeling. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, and he played ball uh, because he he did not throw anybody under the bus. Mm-hmm. And he said that he can. He's obviously he's always looking for 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 more talent, um, but there were a few nuggets there that I thought were very interesting because he says, "Yeah, we always want to add high end talent. Is it going to be through through draft or trade?" He says, "You know, we have a lot of draft capital. Uh, if yeah. we wanted to trade a first round pick, second round pick, third round pick, fourth round pick in 2025 to acquire a top player." Well, we would still have a first, a second, a third, and a fourth. Yes, so, exactly. 
so they've come to a point where they they've got some assets and uh also how how the team is going to approach uh free agency uh, in the future was also a very uh i think interesting thing um and it was a bit of an insight into his belief that competitive windows exist and you know people mm. might say well of course it exists but Let's not uh, forget his that Matt, his predecessor. <laughs> no, he did not believe in that. On more than one occasion, Marc Bergevin said that he did not believe in competitive windows. And I, was it in, in when we sat down Carolina. with him in Carolina? Carolina, For, yeah, yeah. My jaw dropped that day. Uh, that he too. said, "Oh no, no, no." There's that was my first. That was my first time. I felt like this guy's not. He's not balanced. <laughs> there's something. <laughs> there's something off kilter about this guy because. His insistence that there's no competitive windows. I was like, so do you think you could build a competitive team and it will perpetually remain competitive till the end of time? Like, it's you're gonna you're gonna build a Stanley Cup contender and it will remain a Stanley Cup contender. There will be no yeah. window closing. There will be no window opening. It's just it's just like so. Anyhow, yeah, yeah. So in any case, so, so I think we have a more so, realistic guy yeah, running exactly. the team right now. Yeah, for sure. So Kent, you said you know if you go on the market. On UFA market, you you're going to get some 27 to 29 year old guys uh, that you need to sign long term, and oh. it's the first few years of their deal that you know that that's meant to really pay off because otherwise they're going they're going to be declining assets at, uh, towards the end. So it needs to pay off right away when the team is ready for it and the team needs it. So Hughes admitted, "Well, we're probably not in the market for those long signings yet." So he understands that in terms of the competitive window, he might want to add some some high-end talent, but signing a superstar or whatever it may be, uh, the time might not just be right yet. Although, so if you wonder certain, if, if ever a certain William, Swedish if a certain Swedish winger ever hit the market, I know a guy who could the, almost single-handedly fix the power play. Yeah, you don't I know. think, you don't think would he would. So good. You don't think he would dive in on that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what? Well, I'm asking. I'm actually asking so you the good. question. It feels so good to say that Neilander would look good in a Canadian's uniform on SDPN. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me giggle. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's honestly like, you know, I don't I don't know. I honestly don't know if it's a good time for the Canadians. Like based on what you just can he everything you just said that Ken Hughes told you guys makes total sense. And perhaps yeah. the thing is that players like that don't hit the market all that often it, at that age. You know, it's everything about what's going on there. Um, I'm still not convinced he's going to hit the market. Let's just be clear. Like, I'm still not convinced he's going to leave Toronto. And if he does, I'm not convinced he would want to leave Toronto just to come to Montreal, other than if he just wants to to really spite Toronto. <laughs> like, yeah. if his intent is to be like, screw you, Toronto. I'm going to go to the one place you don't want me to go to. But otherwise, I don't see why he would. But anyhow, that's just an aside. But philosophically... It's like when Burge appro approached Milan Lucic as a, you know, and yes. Lucic was like, ish, I, I could yeah. never do that. Or when he tried to trade Georges to Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Again, just a little, <laughs> a little off balance. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so so Hughes, yeah, he, he, he believes in, in teams being in cycles. And, and there's something else he said that's interesting is that other teams, when their window closes – at the very beginning of, of, of the time where they start, you know, dismantling and they know that they're going to rebuild, they're still good teams. It's just that they understand where they're at. They're still good teams. They still got good players. And sometimes it's, it's players on those teams that can become the best targets. Wow. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and that's you know what, who, actually, who I thought, I thought of, yeah, I thought of Matthew Barzal at that time. Because at some point, Lou is going to retire in, in Long Island. Uh, his successor will say, there's nothing to do there. We, yeah. we have to fix the whole thing. Right. And, uh, and they're going to have to move that contract. And he'll still be young enough. So if, if he's the type of player that they like, he's the sort of player that, you know, two, three years down the road could still be available. That's I interesting. I hadn't actually... I hadn't actually ever considered that. That's actually a really interesting point that, you know, just kind of picking, not the carcass, but I mean, you know, kind of going at a team that's on the verge of rebuilding, but doing it before 
before yeah, the, the fire sale sign is open, you know? Yeah, is, before they're completely stripped because at the yeah. end they, they they start assembling their team to 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 sell the parts, you know, year after year. Like mm-hmm. like San Jose is going to do this year, you know. They got a bunch of guys on one year deals and they're going to uh they're going to trade them at the deadline. But that's an interesting so so when you think about a window for the Canadians, I think it's it's very much tied to well, I don't. I'm not a genius for thinking this. This is obvious. I mean, it's it's, it's going to be tied to entry level contracts, and in many ways, to me, if, for instance, Doc makes the progression that I think both you and I feel he could make, um, it's going to be tied to like his contract. If Newhook makes the kind of progression that maybe he will, it'll be tied to his contract because they have these bargain. They have these two bargain pieces right now. Yeah. Um, somewhat offset by, say, the Gallagher contract and, and, you know, a handful of others, but, you know, Gooley on entry level. And so it's, it's, it strikes me that in the NHL now, these, these windows arrive quickly, quicker than they should, you know, for teams in Montreal situation or Philadelphia situation or whoever situation, when you're drafting high and you're drafting, you're, you're adding these players. I mean, just look at Toronto, like how fast they had to get into win now mode. It didn't take long, you know, and Ma- like Matthews is already, how long has he been there? Seven years? I think so. Something Eight? like that. Yeah. So, and, but, but they've been in this win now mode for four of those years, <laughs> you know, five even. So it's really, this is what I find so interesting about the Canadian situation is that they don't have a Matthews. You know, Edmonton got into that situation because they had McDavid and Dreisaitl. You know, Toronto had Matthews and Marner. They had the the, the center. And, and in Montreal, they're still trying to figure out who is the centerpiece of this project. And so, but they still have those young pieces. You know, they still have, you know, Caulfield's locked up. Suzuki's locked up. You have these two what, which I think will be excellent contracts in Doc and Newhook. You know, if Slaff's, when Slaff's entry level expires, who knows what he's going to do in the next two seasons. But let's say by the end of next season, he is like a legitimate power forward guy. Yeah. Um, he'll have to get paid. Kane Gooley, if he's looking like a top parish defenseman at the end of his entry level, he's going to have to get paid. And so sure. I just find in today's, in this, in this landscape in the NHL with this, uh, with the way contracts work now, back in the day, guys didn't get paid until they were 27, 28. If that. Yeah. But and you now, don't even have now, to, you don't even have to look that far back. There, it, it, it seems like only five years ago, we used to hear that, Oh, you know, a team needs to win with some of their most productive players on entry-level contracts. But now, a young young teams like Ottawa or Buffalo, mm-hmm. they've they've signed all of their th- their whole core for the next five six years. All those guys are signed long term. You know, it's, yeah. it's it's five guys, and they're entering they're entering the time when they're going to become competitive. And none of those guys. That are part of their core is under entry level deal, no. so it's it's a different it's a different landscape. No, no, it's you have to have you have to it's 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 the second contracts. You need to build your team around second contracts. So you need right. to draft the right guys, and then get them locked in. Not even to bargain contracts. Like we're talking about, like Jake Sanderson, Stutzla, Kachuk. You need Buffalo. them to convince you. Yeah. And then you and then you have to you have to double down on them. So like, yeah, who are the Canadians doubling down on? Well, I think that Gooley is going ex- to be to there. Extent. Yeah, Gooley is going to be there. There, Sanderson, right? You know, so past so. him. I mean, I think you know it's hard to say with Reinbacker. I, I I have the impression that he will become another one of those guys that will come to Montreal. Eventually he will play out his entry level and at the end of his entry level, he will sign a long-term extension mm-hmm. and, and get paid a lot of money. But it's just crazy to me that the, you know, the window that Hughes is talking about, they have to foresee it. 
now yeah. when they're so far from it. <laughs> like they're not even close <laughs> to that window. Like it's not it's not even on the horizon. It's on another continent and they still have to start planning for it right now. Yeah, and it's funny because I don't know if I brought it up in our previous episode, but when I chatted with with Kent, he said uh, he agreed with me when I said that the, the 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 their prospects on defense was really the the biggest the corner, thing so. that they that they could build on. Mm-hmm. And I was mentioning, of course, uh, you know, Gouli's already here, and you could add maybe Jackeye because he's. Uh, as Nick Bogroff likes to say, he's a unicorn in what he does. <laughs> But yeah, Reinbacker, you add, you add um, Mayu, you add Lane Hudson, and mm-hmm. maybe Adam Engstrom. You know, they might all those guys might not hit, but it's clearly there where you have the strongest talent pool. But those guys, apart from the first two, are not in any NHL yet. So by the time that they become, they have convinced the Canadians that they're long-term pieces. While New Hook and Doc will will be done with their respective deals, mm-hmm. and and Suzuki and Caulfield will be in their prime, but they'll be in the middle of their long term contract. So it's a forever evolving thing, and it maybe that's why Burge was saying that I don't believe in windows because you're never you can never plan it in a way that things will well, will fit. But if you want to accelerate it. You can accelerate it by saying, "Okay, well, if I if I have some good pieces, now what can I do to make the ne- take the next step?" And I'm going to find a guy that's going to make it so that we don't perpetually wait for the next thing. Well, I think what you just talked about too is because on defense, it actually does line up perfectly, almost. I mean, Gulio will be the first guy to get signed. Ryan Backer will be next. If everything works out and all these guys hit, you know, you could have a succession of long-term contracts, but they would just all be on defense. That's mm-hmm. just, that's what it'd be. And so like, um, and you know, I and mean, we haven't even talked about the goaltending, but like Jacob Fowler turns out or whatever, if one of these goalies yeah. turn out, then, then he would also be in that grouping of guys, which, really would suggest that the guys we're looking at right now are kind of perhaps secondary elements of what will actually one day make the Canadians uh, a powerful team. Do you know who the Canadians don't have? Connor Bedard. They don't have Connor Bedard, no. No, but they'll see him. They'll see him on Saturday. We'll see him on Saturday. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited for you... that game. I'm just gonna watch him the whole game. I'm just gonna. <laughs> well, the first, yeah. I think the first three times Connor McDavid came to Montreal, I didn't. Whenever he was on the ice, I did not watch any other player. I just yeah. followed him, and it's that's what I'm gonna do Saturday night. I'm gonna watch Connor Bedard the whole time, see what he does. I think it's it's great that the the home opener is against this kid. I yeah. think it, it it brings a whole new dimension to the game, uh, as if. You needed more already because it's always a game that's very, very hyped. But mm-hmm. uh, man, he's just—it's just fun to watch. It's yeah. I, I, I mean, he, he's and it's not just his shot is out of this world. I mean, uh, I think that only Austin Matthews will probably be on par with that. But he's so elusive and he's so—it's it, there's so many, so many elements to his game that makes him. A treat to watch. One thing I can guarantee you is that no one's going to be talking about uh, Connor Bedard needing to get more touches. No, the word, <laughs> the word touches the word touches doesn't really apply to Connor Bedard. I mean, he's already getting you know just a ridiculous amount of shot attempts, let alone touches. I mean, he's he's he's, he's just walked right into the NHL, and it's like not a problem. So yeah. I'm excited, you know, and it's, 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 I'm excited to watch him play. Chicago Blackhawks should be excited. And everything we've been talking about applies to the Chicago Blackhawks as well. Like, but they have that guy. They do. They, they do. have, him. but they need, they need Korczynski to be good. They need to Frank Nazar to, to eventually, you know, become a quality NHLer. They, they, yeah. they've got some pieces, Reichel, et cetera. Uh, they could wind up with one of the big three this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's there. It's 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 almost likely. I mean, you know, you never know what's going to happen in the, in the lottery, but they're not a good team. 
I mean, unless Connor Bedard could single-handedly lift him to, you know, fifth or sixth pick, like, I mean, it's, you know, or maybe even better higher than that. I don't know, but. No, they, it's just that it's so, it'll be hard to be as bad as San Jose this season, though. Oh, of yeah. course. But, you know, I can see Anaheim taking a step. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of guys. Columbus taking a step. Montreal taking a step. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, there's, if they were to get one of the big three this year, you know, one of, you know, Celebrini, Iserman, or Demidov, then, then they're, then they're looking pretty formidable. They're start. they have like the, the makings of a very interesting core. And the, the advantage that they have is that they don't have, like, you know, they don't have these, these contracts lingering that they need to get rid of. Their, their, their decks are clean. And when you think about it, you know, we've often wondered, like, why did they give up on Doc? And this isn't a justification for giving up on Doc. It's just a practical consideration where you just be like, well, he needs a new contract and it's not going to fit with all these other guys that we're going to be, you know, so let's just get something for him, which winds up being Nazar. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and just, you know, I'm not saying he's a bad player. He just, he's not, he's not a fit for us. You know, he doesn't fit our window. And, you know, who's to say they're wrong? I mean, so, but it's, it's, I find it just building a contending team. There's no one way to do it. I feel like a lot of people look at it and like, you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to do this. And there's nothing, there's no evidence showing that um, any NHL team has figured out the perfect way to do it. Edmonton still has not won a cup. They have the Connor Bedard, the previous Connor Bedard. They have him and they've had him for a long time. And not only that, they have arguably the second best player. And And so there's no, there's no set formula but it's for sure easier for fans to look at what Chicago's done and is going to continue doing and say, well, this seems to be a formula. But I, the more I've thought about it, like the Canadians doubling down on, on defense is their strength. Who's to say, who's to say that won't be a good formula. It's an, it's an interesting approach because yeah. yeah. And dynamic players too. I mean, there's those guys are not just like, Big stay-at-home guys who will. It's not, uh, not a bunch of bench rots back there. Like it's no, it's, that's no. it. You know, you everybody saw Mayu over camp. I mean, uh, he's pretty dynamic. Uh, yeah. You know, on the offensive side of the puck, uh, Reinbacker is going to be also uh, an interesting puck mover and a smart guy, smart, a smart two hundred foot guy. Uh, Hudson, hey. uh, Hudson played like forty minutes the other night, uh, and and Vincent Le Cavalier was super excited. From what he saw, because he went down there in Boston to watch him play. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's and that's Angstrom's having one. Angstrom's having a great season. Man, uh, de- defense with their blue line's not going to be a problem. They might be young. They might this year might be an issue at times this year, but over time, this is ge- this is their gem. That's that's where they're strong. The rest, we'll see. Marks. No, we'll see. We'll see. I yeah. mean, it's, it's it's but it's. It's not, it's not crazy in my eyes. It's just like it's it, to have like this a group of defense that they could potentially have, let's say three years from now, that top to bottom are big, mobile, you know, dynamic puck handling. Like they have, they have it all, other than Hudson, who's just not big. And so, like, but you know, all these guys have size, and it could just be uh, just incredibly, incredibly dynamic defense group um, which could make it so that maybe it's not the end of the world if you have like kind of a, a four line attack and that you don't have the big Connor Bedard type person up front that the defense is so good and the defense contributes to the attack so much maybe you can get by without a Connor Bedard but in the meantime we get to watch Connor Bedard because <laughs> it. it's, it's, it's admittedly fun to watch. I think that's what upsets a lot of the fans too, is that they want to have that guy. They want to have Connor McDavid on their team so that of course you get to watch him 82 times a year. You know, it's like, it's yeah. Well, people in Montreal, they're, they, they love it. They will left players who put on a good show. That's why they've always loved PK Subban. They love Alex Kovalev. They want, they love yeah. obviously Guy Lafleur. 
They want guys who put up a show. They're also sick of having the goalie be their best player, which is not the case now. So be happy about that. <laughs> yeah. But you know, for the longest time, the goalie was their best player, was the Canadiens' best player, and and I think a lot of fans are sick of that. But I think I'm not I'm not so sure that watching that young defense group is going to be boring. I don't think it will be. I think it'll be a lot of fun eventually because. I, I'm just I'm fascinated as, as a team building approach. It's it's different, and I, I like things that are different. Um, I'm very curious to see if it works out. Yeah, and and you know, we Martin Saint Louis talks a lot about positionless hockey. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the that's the trend. That's where hockey is going. Well, if you have defensemen like that, Wayne Hudson was born to play positionless hockey. <laughs> Jeez, like, yes. Literally, he was. He came out the womb. Preaching <laughs> the virtues of positionless hockey. Yeah. So, all right, let's let's wrap this up, Arpin. Uh, I hope uh, everybody uh, enjoyed the the podcast today. Uh, let us uh, remind you that um, you can send us your questions because we're going to do a mailbag uh, every Monday. So starting this this Monday, <laughs> uh, so you can send us your questions. Or you can email us at Basu and Godin at gmail.com or you can just drop a question or a comment on our Twitter handle, on our Twitter account, which is Basu and Godin. And uh, obviously you can read Arpin in The Athletic and uh, you can read me on RadioCanada.ca and uh, that's it, man. We'll be back Monday. We'll be back Monday. We'll see what how the Connor Bedard uh, caravan rolls through Montreal um, and we'll tell, yeah, well, I think we're going to talk about it on Monday, probably just his experience, his first experience with the Montreal, the Montreal media. We're going to, we're going to, going to interact with him for the first time, but um, yeah, until then have a nice weekend. Uh, enjoy the games and we'll talk to you on Monday. Bye-bye everybody.